Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Anything. My name is Matt Love. I'm here with Pastor J.D. Greer, and uh, we have a listener question today. This question is from Annie, but um, we've actually had several people ask similar questions to this. And uh, I think it's a good a question that a lot of believers are going to think about at some point in their life. Um, so, J.D., how should a believer handle guilt from sinning? Well, Annie and uh, those of you that ask similar questions, um, that is a, a great question. And it actually takes a good bit of humility and courage to, to ask it. Um, I will just be very upfront with you that there are a few sins in my life that I would love to leave behind in the rearview mirror. And it's not from a lack of sincerity. It's not from a lack of fasting and praying and having people hold me accountable and memorizing verses. But you just, you, you, you keep falling back into patterns that run deep and they grieve me. Um, you know, it was actually very encouraging for me to learn years ago. And I, I've shared this on Ask Me Anything before, but um, John Newton, um, there's a series of letters you can get. In fact, I would commend it to you. It's an amazing little book called The Letters of John Newton. And in there, he talks about um, as an 80-something-year-old man writing to another pastor, how he thought that by this point in his life and, you know, after hmm. all these years of serving God and writing the most famous hymn in the world, you know, Amazing Grace, um, and the years of godliness that he, he thought he would have just been past certain struggles. And here he is in his mid-80s, and he says some of these struggles with sin feel harder and more difficult now than than ever. Yeah. And it was actually very encouraging to me to know that even a saint like that, um, that there's nothing that's it's you know fundamentally wrong with me or doesn't mean that I'm not saved because I struggle with sins like that. Um, in fact, if you'll allow me a little shameless plug here, um, I wrote a, a book several years ago called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart about the assurance of salvation. Uh, and it's I struggle with, um, the book is about my own struggle with salvation um, because for years, because of some of these, you know, just recurring sins and, and not seeing enough change in my heart, I thought there's no way I could be saved. Um, the enemy was just tempting me saying, you know, if you're a real Christian, if you're really born again, then you would never struggle with that. You never think that way. You'd never fall back into that pattern your life would be so much different. Um, there's no way God loves you. Um, so, you know, just want you to understand I've been there and, and, and that question doesn't mean that you're, you're not a Christian. So let's just say, how do you handle that? Um, how, do, how does a believer handle guilt when they're still struggling with some of these same sins? And hey, let me just kind of expand your question a little bit because I know some of our listeners have this part of the question. How do you differentiate conviction of sin that, that actually shows something really is spiritually wrong? And, and and what it means just to grow as a believer. Um, so let me just dive in. Now, a couple big things. And the first one is almost going to sound like I'm going back on everything I just said. And that is, I do think you have to ask, have you truly repented? And Annie, honestly, I'm not really directing that at you just because of the nature of your question. Just it, it doesn't seem that way. But for some people, you know, salvation was never really about repentance. It was about working out some little deal with God, like a get out of hell free card where you, you know, kind of go through a ritual. And then that guarantees you that no matter what you do, then you're going to be. Um, the, you know, you're going to go to heaven. And um, one of the, the crucial parts of salvation is true repentance of sin. And one of the things that repentance always leads to is some kind of change of behavior. Uh, you know, in Stop Asking Jesus in Your Heart, I compare it to sitting down in, in, in a chair. If, you know, you can tell the chair all day long about how awesome it is and how much you want to sit in it and how beautiful it is and how it would hold you up. But the point is, until you transfer the weight of your body from your legs under the chair, you haven't actually, um, you haven't actually sat down. Yeah. Belief in the Bible always implies 
action. That's good. And so belief in the Lordship of Christ is not just with your lips saying he's Lord. It means that you are are transferring um, surrender. You're transferring your authority from yourself to him. Sometimes that transfer of authority doesn't look like immediate victory. Sometimes it looks like bitter struggle. Uh, you know, sometimes I find myself praying, Lord, I, you know, I, I want to change this, but I actually don't want to change it at the same time. And so, Lord, align that second part of my heart with the first part of my heart. Um, that's what Paul said in Romans 7. You know, I find that the things that I hate, those are the things I love to do. And, and so Paul recognizes the struggle in his heart. The struggle against sin is proof of the repentance, because if you hadn't repented, you wouldn't be struggling with sin. You wouldn't be asking these questions. The very fact that you want to escape it is an indication that your heart is turned away from sin and you want Christ to be Lord of your life. And that is a kind of repentance. So I, I don't mean to imply that that this change means a complete change of behavior where you never struggle with sin again. Sometimes it's a change where you're entering into that struggle. Um, but there is some kind of change, and you at least got to ask that question. Have I actually repented, or have I just tried to use Jesus like a fire escape? So that, that's the first question. The second thing that I would say um, when you're dealing with guilt that comes from recurring sin um, once you know that you've truly repented, is you really have to embrace, and this might be one of the most liberating things that I've ever learned in my Christian life. You've got you've to embrace that God's acceptance is the power that liberates you from sin. It is not the reward from you having liberated yourself. You see, it's only the assurance of God's love that is given to you, whether you ever overcome this sin in your day-to-day -day life or not. It's only the assurance of that that will actually enable you to overcome. For me, I've often tried to break the spell of whether it's materialism or lust or anger, temper, those kinds of things. I, I, I try to overcome it as a way of proving that I'm saved. I'm like, well, you know, if I do this, then that'll prove that I'm I'm actually a Christian. Or I'll try to, to do it as a way of, of earning God's love. I would never articulate it that way, but when I look at my heart, that's what I'm doing is I'm trying to to, to, to be good enough that I would earn his blessing and his favor. But see, what the gospel truth is, it actually turns that upside down on its head, is that God's love is given to you as a gift before you overcome and is promised to you whether or not you actually ever do overcome, you know, like practically in your day-to-day -day life. It's, it is a gift that you, that you receive. And here's the irony. It's only by believing that Believing in the freeness of God's love, the um, the acceptance that's promised as a gift based on Christ's work and not yours, it's only by that assurance that you'll ever develop the love for God that will enable you to overcome. That's good. Uh, one of the best examples of this in the Bible is, is the, the woman caught um, in adultery that we we find her story in John 8. And, you know, you're probably familiar with the story where the woman suddenly is, um, you know, dragged out of adultery where she's caught in the very act and she's about to be stoned. And Jesus, you know, kneels down, starts to write in the dirt and says, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. And everybody basically drops their rocks and goes home. And it's just Jesus and the woman. And, and Jesus says to her, you know, woman, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. And, and he says, and here's the, the phrase, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. What's liberating to me is the order he puts those two phrases in, because I would almost always reverse the order of those. Yes. I would say, if you go and sin no more, then I won't condemn you. Yeah. But Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, therefore go and sin no more. You see, he knew that she would never have the power to be able to break the sinful 
temptations that led her to adultery until she had the assurance of his forgiveness. And if you'll give me a little bit of license here, we don't know this woman's story, but you know, chances are she'd grown up and, and maybe she had a bad situation with her father. And maybe she learned that she could earn male love by giving away her, her body. And maybe that's what led her to this moment. You know, if we don't, again, I don't even know how, how consensual this was, but, um, you know, they're likely for a lot of people has been patterns like that. And so, so she's using sex as a way of earning love and acceptance. Well, you know, for her just to walk out of here and think now, if I could just be good, I'll earn acceptance. That would never do it. She would always end up falling back into the temptation of, of giving her body away to a man to, to, to try to gain love from, from him. And so what Jesus did is he gave her the assurance of a greater love. And he said, your heavenly father's love is given to you right now as a gift. Neither do I condemn you. Therefore, in the power of that, go and sin no more. So let me say it again. God's acceptance is the power that liberates you from sin. It's not the reward for you having liberated yourself. The irony of the Christian life is that the only ones who ever get better are those who realize that their acceptance is not preconditioned on them getting better. Um, I love how John would say it again in, in, in the first letter that he wrote, the book of 1 John. He says, what overcomes the world? What overcomes sin? Is it your resolve? Is it your scripture memorization? He says, no, it's our faith. And what he means is our faith in the finished work of Christ, our faith in the fact that God's acceptance of us is not dependent on us overcoming. That is what actually overcomes the world. So in the end, you got to preach the gospel to yourself. And that gospel is that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you any more than he does. Nothing you have done that would make him love you any less. That his acceptance was given to you as a gift in the finished work of Christ. When you embrace that, that when you're in Christ, there's nothing um, else you can do to make him love you more. Well, then at that point, you're going to begin to to love him in a way that will allow you to escape the idolatries that lead to, to sinful temptation. So the short answer is you re-believe the gospel. Rebelieve the gospel, the way Paul says it in Romans 6, reckon yourself dead to sin. That's another way of saying believe the gospel. And then and then through that, you'll gain the power to be able to turn away from it. So when you've fallen to that sin again for the, for the millionth time, um, you look to heaven and say, God, thank you that your acceptance of me is not, not preconditioned on me getting over this. Lord, who else has ever loved me like that? Lord, I want to love you and please you. And you'll find that desire growing in a way that eventually um, will lead you away from sin. That's how it's worked in my life. That's how the Bible promises that it'll work. Which brings me really quickly to that that last part of the question I said at the beginning I wanted to deal with. And that is, how, how do you know the difference when the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and when, you know, it's Satan accusing you? Satan's called the accuser of the brethren, which means that he loves to bring up your sin to you. And he loves to take your sin and make you think that you're not a Christian. So the way I've always heard it said, and this has been helpful for me, is the difference in the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin and Satan's accusation of sin, which often feels like conviction, is that Satan starts with what you did, and he uses that to attack who you are. The Holy Spirit starts with who he's remade you in Christ and then uses that to rebuild what you did, repair what you did, call you up into Christ's likeness. Um, the Holy Spirit starts with the assurance of the gospel and then uses that um, to call your behavior forward. That's how you know the difference in when the Holy Spirit is speaking and when your accuser is speaking. You wanna avoid the voice of the accuser and you wanna run toward the voice of the Holy Spirit. I was explaining this to my kids one time and my eight-year-old daughter had the best little um, way of, of capturing this. We were simultaneous to you know going through these devotions. We'd also, as a family, we're watching The Voice, you know, the show where... Now, the judges sit with their back turned to you in their chair and, you know, the singers sing. And if they like you and they want to take you on as a student, they think you got the voice quality that will, uh, you know, they could do something with. And they hit the 
button and it, you know, their, spare, their chair turns around and in big letters across the bottom of the chair, it says, I want you. And as I'm explaining this stuff to um, my kids, uh, my daughter said, dad, it's like the voice. It's like God hit his button that says, I want you before we ever started singing. He hadn't even heard our voice. He didn't know how worthy we could be or would be. And God says, I want you. His love is given as a gift. When you realize that in the gospel, that's what God has offered to you. Is he's offered you acceptance um, and, and, and that he wants you. Well, see, that, that, that's what creates in you the love and the ability and the, and the courage to be able to overcome sin. Um, so, Andy, believe the gospel and uh, believe it again and again and again because you'll never get to the bottom of the well of God's love and his forgiveness. Well, thanks, J.D. Um, again, a question a lot of people are asking um, and a question that I think is a great way to be kind of led back to the gospel. So we appreciate all of your thoughts there. And then we are excited. Next week, we're going to be asking another good question. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? If you ever read uh, Matthew and uh, you read some of those, those uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, what does that mean? Seems like an odd, odd phrase. So Jay's going to unpack that next week. Um, and in the meantime, if you want more from Pastor JD, we would recommend you follow him on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. You can also find more resources from Pastor JD at jdgreer.com. Uh, So check that out, and we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.